This podcast is sponsored by Agape Match. Agape Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapematch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about your dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a 60-second audio question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes one minute. Before I introduce my guest, I just want to thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker and of course to my OG fans for sending in your dating and relationship questions via Instagram every Wednesday. It is always a treat to see what the waves are in like how you are all coping with dating during COVID or during the first lockdown, then there's a break, there's a second lockdown. It's been so interesting to see how, I think anyone who's been following Ask a Matchmaker, you see there are some of the most asinine questions every week, like when do we define what we are? Or can I get a man to become a boyfriend? Uh, Even though he's been a friend of mine for 20 years or whatever questions that I constantly get the last three years. But then there are these questions that are really specific to the time. And it's just been, it's just been interesting to, I don't want to say historically take note of this, but I feel like I'm watching dating history unfold in this very interesting manner. And I just want to thank you all for just trusting me with those questions and reading my answers and listening to my answers. Uh, Of course, like I always say, next time someone starts rambling away about their dating or relationship dilemma, you tell them about this podcast, ask a matchmaker, tell them to follow me on Instagram, matchmaker Maria, tell them to go check out my new TikTok where I critique your online dating profiles. I know uh, I've been getting messages lately from a lot of married people (laughs) that they say they want to create an online dating profile just for, just for me to critique it. And I always have to respond, Ooh, girl. That's going to be such a bad idea when your husband finds out that you have an online dating profile. And then what are you going to say? Oh, I was just doing it. So this person named Matchmaker Maria could critique it on TikTok. That's just not going to fly as an excuse to do that. So do not create an online dating profile for me to critique. But if you are single and you have an online dating profile for me to critique, check out the links in today's episode and send it in. That'll be fun. All right, let's bring in my next guest. Kat Harris is a Brooklyn-based online educator, digital content creator, female empowerment advocate. Her vision is for women to know their beauty, identity, and value. I love that. She is co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman, and the host of The Refined Collective Podcast. She has also been a full-time photographer for the last decade, with her work being featured in GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, US Weekly, and Glamour UK. In today's episode... We'll be discussing how to embrace your sexuality when you're not having sex. Kat, welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And first of all, that's so cool that you do online dating critiques on TikTok. I mean, people pay big money for relationship coaches to do that. That is a service that Agape Match offers. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that in. Yeah. Uh, we do do that. We do give uh, we give online dating profile makeovers and takeovers. Those are two separate products uh, that my company does offer. You know, I the whole online dating critiquing thing happened because someone asked it on Ask a Matchmaker. I made up a poll. People flipped it out and they loved it. I put up a few episodes and now I'm 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 hitting two episodes. I have enough profiles, Cat to put up two episodes a day for the next year. I mean, I believe it. People, especially in a pandemic, I I was just about to create a reel for my Instagram before we got on our call together about why online dating is so incredible, especially mm-hmm. in a pandemic. It's the safest, most low risk way to meet another human. And the stakes are so low. I think people freak out about it and put so much pressure on dating. And I'm like, online dating is such a low entry of just getting out there, practicing communication, practicing sharing what it is that you want, practicing flirting, healthy boundaries. I'm just very for it. (laughs) I love that. That's great. I love it. It's definitely a great tool. You know, go online to get offline. Yes. So Kat. Yes. Let's talk. Tell me a little bit about yourself. 
So I am from Dallas, Texas. I'm one of six kids. I was sort of raised in the Southern Bible Belt culture, even though I didn't grow up in a religious home per se. So I kind of, I kind of say it like this to people, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, Christianity was kind of the air I breathed. It was like the wallpaper in your parents' house that you don't mm-hmm. really notice, but it's there. Which um, um, sibling are you? You said six, which one? Yeah. Are you? So I'm second oldest. My brother is the oldest and then it's five girls. I see. So, okay. Yeah. So we actually, we range from 37 years old to 18. So oh, wow. I'm 35 and my youngest sister is a freshman in college this year are your parents agnostic? Like what, what do you, so my dad's side of the family is very Christian, very religious. They were a part of the Jesus movement in the seventies, like tent revivals, um, and got like radically saved quote unquote in the seventies. And my mom's side of the family is like, kind of just like quote unquote, good people. I mean, my grandma and my, well, my grandma used to like read palms and whenever you would walk into her house, she's like, rub the Buddha belly. And so they weren't really religious about that stuff. It was just kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. be a good person. And, and so my mom and dad met and there wasn't really a faith conversation at all. Um, so growing up, I didn't, I didn't really ever doubt the existence of God. That wasn't really ever something that was a part of my story. I, I kind of always, be, I always believed there was a God, but it wasn't really anything we ever talked about except for, you know, when we were with my dad's side of the family going to Christmas Eve service or something like that. Oh, wow. So you didn't even do like church on weekends, like Sunday school or that stuff. No, not until my parents got divorced. So my parents got divorced when I was 10 and that's a whole other story that my family history is wrought with affairs and addictions and, um, a lot of drama and dysfunction. And so when my parents got divorced, my mom, who was agnostic, most of her life started taking us to church in the neighborhood that we moved into. So when my parents got divorced, we, we went from being a very wealthy family my dad making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to living in poverty and not knowing if we were going to pay rent and my mom not having a college degree and working retail, making $6 an hour, putting food on the table for four kids. Mm -hmm. So we started going to church on Sunday, but it was just kind of, I think what happens with a lot of people in the South, it was just kind of, that's the thing you do. So Mm -hmm. we go to church and then we'd go to CC's pizza or Wendy's and get one thing off the dollar menu. And so my entire family would eat for under $10. Um, and then when I was a scene going into my senior year of high school, I, I kind of say like, I accidentally became a Christian. Right. <laughs> um, I went to a camp. I became a Christian at that camp and kind of came Christian. Like what denomination are we talking about? Oh gosh. So I would, I would say it was non-denominational. So it was just kind of, uh, like Bible, non-denominational evangelical Christian. Yeah. Evangelicals and denomination. Yeah. So we can say even, (laughs) I don't really identify as evangelical anymore. Um, but yeah, evangelical would be like a good way of saying what I kind of came to faith into. Okay. And that changed your life. It did. I mean, I became the person that was so excited about God and my faith. And I kind of one of those like 180 conversion stories of I didn't believe this thing. And then I had this experience that I could only explain to be an experience with God and came back home. And my family was like, what the hell did just happened to you. And I was like, let's read our Bibles. Oh my gosh, God is amazing. Let's pray. And, and so really from there, the trajectory of a lot of my life changed and shifted. My faith became super important to me. I got really involved at my church. I started working at my church. I went to college on a full ride athletic scholarship to play tennis at a D one school. And that was always my life goal since I was a little girl and two and a half years in, I, because of some injuries, I decided to transfer to a small 
Christian school and I became a Bible major. I thought I was going to graduate college and they, people joke at small Christian schools. I didn't even know you could major in the Bible. Like, are you saying like theology? Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my actual major is bachelor of science in biblical studies. So I I was taking that makes, okay. Like (laughs) old Testament, new Testament, different books of the Bible. What school did you go to? Dallas Baptist university. Okay. All right. So it was super small school very Baptist. I mean, no one, you had to sign a contract saying no alcohol on campus. You couldn't drink alcohol the entire time you were a student there. Um, so very, very conservative. And I was a Bible major, which also was kind of, were there any guys in your university? Oh, a ton of guys. And in that sort of conservative Baptist evangelical culture, like women weren't allowed to quote unquote, be pastors. Women couldn't be preachers because that's what men were supposed to do. So I was one of the only women in my major because people would say, oh, why would you want to be a Bible major if you can't ever be a pastor because you're a woman? And Mm -hmm. so I've been pissing people off in Christian culture for a very long time. Um, And my issue with that was the Bible. I mean, I actually, right before our call was reading the latest National Geographic and it's the title of it is Women in the Bible. And so I I wasn't well-versed with Christian culture. All I knew was the Bible that I read. And I was reading about Queen Esther who helped stop the genocide of her people through her influence. I was reading about Ruth who proposed (laughs) to her husband in such a provocative and scandalous way, or the Proverbs 31 woman who is entrepreneurial and business savvy and used her voice for influence in her home and city at large. And then the countless women in the new Testament who helped fund the ministry of Jesus and who were right hand influencers with him. And so I was like, what do you mean? Like Christian, I just thought Christian culture was weird. I I didn't understand it. So I ended up graduating with my Bible major and thinking I'll just get married and start popping out babies. And Mm -hmm. honestly, my life couldn't have turned out any differently. I graduated very single two weeks later, moved from Dallas to San Diego, California, to work in the nonprofit world. I was in the nonprofit world for a few years and then somehow landed into the photography industry. I worked for one of the top um, wedding and editorial photographers in the nation for a few years. My first client was Usher (laughs) with him and Timbaland. And I didn't even know how to turn on a camera and I'm editing Usher's wedding and going back and forth with his team. And and so it was a very, um, I I just kind of had a really crazy opportunity to work with this photographer and he taught me everything I knew. I'd never been to New York city before working with him and started shooting New York fashion week with him every season. Long story short, I ended up starting my own photography business. And in, in the meantime of that, I started my blog, the refined woman. Tell me more about the refined woman. The refined woman started as basically a passion project about eight and a half years ago. I was leaving New York fashion week one season. I think it, I had been shooting for 12 seasons at that point and just sort of felt this internal nudge of these pictures are great. These clothes are fun, but what's the legacy or what's the story you're wanting to invite other people into. And I just wanted to create a space for women to know that regardless of what you look like, you matter, you have a story to tell, you are worthy. Basically all of my own insecurities that I was constantly preaching to myself, like Mm -hmm. I am worthy, I'm enough. Like I have a seat at the table. My femininity is an asset, not a liability. I started speaking that out on the refined woman. So it kind of started as a style blog at first, which is if you want to see some very painful style posts, just. But now it's a lifestyle blog. Yeah, like a so, very specific um, faith-based lifestyle blog, right? Am I wrong here? Like, I, I no, like- you're not. You're not. Okay. So that only started happening about two years ago. So uh, most of my journey with The Refined Woman has been talking. Of, I was doing brand strategy, social media marketing with mm-hmm. 
different brands I was working with. And then I started talking more about my own life. So I talked a lot about recovering from a really deep struggle with anxiety and panic attacks and how um, yoga really healed a lot of my anxiety and breath work and mindfulness. But I kind of kept my faith on the back burner because I just felt like I didn't want to like put my beliefs on anyone else. And Mm -hmm. Then what changed that is I came out with a series called sexless in the city, uh, probably five or six Mm -hmm. years ago. And that was kind of what took the refined one from being like my mom and my cousins read this blog to tens of thousands of people seeing my posts. And essentially I wrote about, Hey, I'm a Christian. I've been a virgin my whole life and I'm almost 30 and I'm living in New York city and I'm navigating the dating scene. And I just started talking about my experiences of dating in New York city. And but you were a virgin by choice. Correct. Correct. Yeah. By choice. (laughs) And Um, let's talk about that. I just did a poll today to my followers. Would you date someone who wanted to wait to have sex? I assume this is what's going on here, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you want to wait to have sex till you get married. Uh, Would, you know, would you date this person if they were great? Over a thousand people voted and it was something like 65% said deal breaker, but 35% would that really surprise me? 35% said I'm open to exploring it. And I was like, interesting. That's really surprising to me as well. Yeah. Because I thought it would have been like for sure 98%, 2%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even just my own experience being a woman of faith and having a lot of people that I share my faith with that also being a deal breaker for them as far as uh, abstinence or, or not. And so, yeah, it's definitely been, it's been an interesting journey for sure. So are you waiting to have sex when you get married? Yes, I am. I have a million questions for you. (laughs) Ask away. Let's talk about it. Are you open to answering really personal questions about I mean, I I I am. I mean, I'm already writing a book on it. So I love (laughs) it. That's out of the bag. I think this is great. I think it's great that you're public with it. I think it's going to attract the kind of guy that wants that. So I think that's excellent. Um, like more power to you. Thanks. So I'm gonna ask the questions that I know someone is asking themselves listening to this. So first off, what do you define sex as? <laughs> that is such a good question and such a great place to start and a right. place that I didn't even look at until a couple years ago. Okay. I think I would say up until I was almost, I'm 35 now. Mm-hmm. So I would say up until I was probably at least 30 for me, sex was penis inside vagina. Like that's what sex was. That's what I think sex is. I still think that's what sex is. Well, but what if you identify as LGBTQ? Oh, do a you good question. not have sex? I was speaking in a heteronormative way. So excuse me. I'm sorry about yeah, that. No, it's, yeah, no, that's it's, actually a very good question. Okay. So, yeah. so go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Tell me so more. I think I never really questioned what that meant. And so it was like, so for most of my life, I was abstaining by choice, but it was pretty much because that's what I had been taught that quote unquote, good Christian girls and boys did. Once I moved to New York and started dating a ton, falling in love, falling out of love and realizing it's a lot harder to keep my pants on when I'm in a relationship with a guy that I'm really attracted to that I really care about. It just was never really hard for me to abstain because I wasn't in a lot of situations where it, it was, I hadn't dated someone seriously in almost a decade. And then I moved to New York. I dated more in one year than I had in an entire decade. And yeah, my pants were not staying on. And so from that point, that's when I started asking questions like, why do I really believe this? And what is sex and how am I defining that? And so for me now, sex, how I define sex is any form of penetration. So I would say that anal sex, vaginal sex and, um, oral sex. So, Oh, what oral sex? too? Yeah. That's, that's just my personal boundary. And I don't think that that has to be the boundary for every person. I love oral sex. I think it's awesome. feels great. (laughs) And it was, 
it was definitely hard for me to get to that place where I chose to include that in my definition. I also think orgasm, I don't think orgasm is sex, but I think it's like if penetration is kind of like the core of what I believe sex is, I think orgasm may be like the next layer outside of that. I think orgasm is really special and intense and even just what happens neurologically in our brains with the adrenaline, the dopamine, the oxytocin released in orgasm. I also feel protective over when I want to experience that with another person. Cause I think it's really bonding. That's how I define sex. And I, the reason why I'm so glad you asked it first is because I think that should be the first question we ask is in order to wherever you stand, if you're like, I want to have all the sex in the world, or I want to have sex on the first date, or I want to wait this long or whatever, in order to be able to communicate informed and enthusiastic consent, which I think is super important in any sexual encounter, I need to do some work. And I'm, I, we, you, me of thinking like, what is sex? What, what do I, what am I looking for in sex? What's the goal here mm-hmm. for me? And what do I, before I get into a situation with a person, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I not want to do so that I can then communicate that clearly? Um, because what happened, what happened in my story for a huge portion of it, because I hadn't really thought about, well, what is sex? Like once I started dating a ton, when I, once I moved to New York, I would be on the first date with a guy back at his apartment and we're both butt naked doing everything but sex. And I would be like, well, I didn't really plan on doing that. And where do we move forward now that our first date we've, we've hit my boundary. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, it's definitely caused me to shift how I show up in my physical encounters with guys. Now that I know kind of my why and, and what sex is for me. So while you were talking, you, you, before I was like thinking about like, you know, she's right. Why was I thinking about this in a heteronormative way? And the the answer is that I don't really think about this. I, I'm not a virgin. I mean, before, I'm obviously I'm married and I have kids now. That's <laughs> literally so a, a virgin, virgin Mary on our hands over here. Well, we'll, we'll see about her, but um, <laughs> like, you know, just in general, when I look at when I think about sex, I don't think about sex the way you do. And it's funny because I have listeners who are, who think I'm nuts when I mention the 12 date rule in past mm. episodes where, you know, I say, you know, maybe wait 12 dates, you know, it's just 36 hours. It's not a big deal. Um, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I've always advocated wait 12 dates before having sex for the same, for some of the same reasons that Kat is saying that mm-hmm. just, just so much, so many things happening hormonally when you do have sex in terms of like bonding that you as a woman, uh, if you're a female listener, you might put on the blinders just biologically that you won't even be able to see that this person might have other red flags in their personality or in their lifestyle and their values that are just are not compatible to you. And you could enter in a relationship with someone that is quite truly wrong for you. And six months down the line, you'll be like, why did I waste my time with this person? Because usually that's how long it takes. Now to go back to what I was saying in terms of like, why did I think this way? And it's because I don't think about, well, what is sex? I never think about that. To me, it's like, okay, at some point in a relationship, you're going to do this. And Kat, to be honest, you might be the fifth person I've met. And I meet people for a living in the last 12 years, who is consciously deciding to wait till marriage. Mm. And in New York, right? I, I assume in the South and other regions of this country, there might be more people, but you're also 35. Yeah. The thing that comes to me when I think about this is, how is this faith-based? And then the next question is, okay, let's say you're divorced and you're 50 mm-hmm. years old. Do you have to wait again until you get married again? So I'll answer that question first. Cause it feels a little easier. Um, okay. I don't think you have to do anything <laughs> <laughs> like you don't have, I don't have That's to the do best anything. Answer, Kat. That's the like, best answer you can give. I get to choose yeah. out of agency and autonomy, how I want to show up in my sexual encounters. So right. if a person is 50 years old and they get divorced, they get to decide, do they want to have sex before they're married again or not? I'm not the person sitting on the judge. I'm not like the judge. (laughs) I'm not the judge or the jury. All I am can do is be in my own experience and share my own experience. And so that's a great answer. uh, Well, thanks. 
my worldview, how I'm showing up sexually, how I'm showing up in the, the voting booth tomorrow, all of that, my faith impacts all of that. So my worldview is coming from a Christian worldview. I believe that God really cares about our autonomy and agency. We see that in the new Testament and Romans where apostle Paul says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters to offer your body as living sacrifices. Paul understands that like, we cannot be forced to do anything we don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So to have ownership, to be internally motivated, I think is really important. That being said, so that's the first part of it is I think, I think a lot of the teaching from Christianity around sex is really shame-based and it's like, well, that's the interpretation. I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm Christian too. I'm I'm Greek Orthodox Christian, which is more of a cultural mind than anything, but, um, (laughs) excuse my language, but whatever. There are interpretations of this. And I think maybe we're leading into that. Yeah. So when you ask like, if there's a faith reason why I'm waiting, the answer to that is yes. And Mm -hmm. in the new Testament, it says 24 different times. It uses this word porneia. And oftentimes it's translated in the Greek as a fornication or sexual immorality. And when it's referenced in, in the new Testament, it says to flee from sexual immorality or flee from fornication. So flee from this idea of porneia. So what is porneia? It's obviously where we get words like pornography. Well, that word is this robust word that it means a lot of things, but the essential thought is to abstain from premarital and extramarital sexual activity. So to not have sex with someone who is not your spouse. Um, so that's kind of like new Testament where, what the, I would say what the invitation is and then old Testament, the, the biblical precedence is that, um, sex happens after marriage. So we see that in Genesis, the Genesis one to to three account with Adam and Eve, they know each other. They that's the Hebrew word yada, which means they have sex. It's also the same Hebrew word that's used when God knows us like this, like real deep form of intimacy. Um, but that Adam and Eve know each other after marriage. So as a Christian, I'm like, well, I either am going to receive that invitation or not. I don't think that what we do or do not do between our legs gets us in or out of heaven. I believe that the Bible is very clear that like salvation is grace alone, Jesus alone. And I think the unfortunate part is often in this conversation around sexuality, it becomes like God plus your behavior, God plus are you a virgin or not? God plus these other things. When really, I think the message of Jesus and what I see from Genesis to revelation is this idea of, of just unconditional love that's available to all people. Faith wise. That's why I choose to wait is because it's, it's the biblical invitation for it. And I would say there's, I could go way more often to that, but I think what also felt really compelling to me, my own personal journey was kind of going back through my own sexual experiences and learning, learning about the oxytocin and dopamine and adrenaline released in orgasm. And oh my gosh, anthropologist, I believe Helen Fisher has Mm -hmm. all these different Ted talks about how there's really no such thing as casual sex. And then going back through my own experiences and realizing, man, I dated that guy for four years and he was a dick. (laughs) He cheated on me all the time. He was just not a great dude, but our relationship was driven by physical and we had this great chemistry. So just kind of seeing in my own experiences too, like, wow, like I've really let the physical drive a lot of my connection with men. And I believe that that's important, but I don't think it's the only thing that's important. And I I, only important the first two dates. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm not, I'm not 80% of it is important. The first two dates the remaining 20%. Yes. It's, are you sexually compatible? Yeah. Which leads yeah. me to my next question. What if you get married to someone who's bad in bed? Well, guess what? I'm, I'm going to need some room for growth as well. Um, and I would say, you know, there's there, and this is controversial, but it's what I believe to be true. And I've, I've had this in experience as well. There's a study that was done that says like, if you want to know if you are going to have, and this is not like a faith-based study. If you want to know if you are going to have a good sexual compatibility with someone make out with them for 15 minutes. 
Mm. And there, see if you are able to like, kind of get into a rhythm with each other and communicate, oh, I like this. I don't like this. And I think we've all made out with someone where you're like, did our teeth just clink? Like, what the heck? Like what, what just happened? And then you have the person that you just, man, you're on fire with. And then I've also dated guys where that physical chemistry wasn't necessarily great in the beginning. And for whatever reason, I stuck with it. And after a month or so, it was like, wow, like we've really kind of built our rhythm here. And my attraction to this guy is incredible. And you just described the beginning of my relationship with my husband. Um, I've said multiple times on the podcast, like when I first met him, you know, he's a cutie, but like, I was just not physically attracted to him. He did not look like any of my ex-boyfriends in the past. And that, but I just loved his brain. I love the way he made me laugh. I loved, um, just the variety of interests that he had. He was just such an interesting person. Mm. And, you know, it just took a few dates for that to grow. But and now I'm thinking about the kissing thing. Like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I could think of a few people. You know what it is? Like sex is so much about communication. You know, so much of what makes good sex good sex is talking about it. So yeah. if you are struggling, it's like, well, can we talk about it? And that's the first part. The second part of sex is our own experiences coming into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see that in some relationships where there is waiting until mm-hmm. marriage um, or just, you know, getting married very young, let's say, where you might not have the sexual experience under your belt to understand if this is good or bad. It's also like how what culture you were raised in and how mm-hmm. that culture talks about sex is sex something that two people who like each other or love each other do or is sex just a vehicle to have children I really don't think that's the only reason for sex is to have children and I think there's a lot of reasons why I think that one alone being the female clitoris the only job of the clitoris is pleasure right (laughs) like there's, I think pleasure and connection is so important. I think God loves pleasure and is for pleasure. You hit on something so important and valuable is, am I, is my partner is the person I'm with. And do I feel safe with this person? Do I feel safe communicating that feels good? That doesn't feel good. Or I don't know if I'm going to want to try this, or maybe we can, that didn't work that time but it worked this time. And so I think so much of having a positive sexual experience is being willing to communicate. And my friend, um, he's a, another relationship coach, Sean Galanos. I always say his last name wrong. (laughs) Sorry, Sean. Um, but he was recently telling me about this book called slow sex, Mm -hmm. I think by Diane Richardson, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And it's all about when you're in a sexual experience with your partner, to be focusing on your pleasure and, and by constantly communicating, okay, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And so I think what happens is people maybe have sex a few times like, well, that didn't work. We don't have good chemistry, but I think it's why it's so important to be with someone that has a growth mindset. Totally. I mean, just in general, forget the sex. It's just in general. It's so good to be with someone who's in a growth mindset. Um, yeah. Am I willing you don't know to know what that is? Just Google it right now. <laughs> yeah. You have a phone in front of you, Google growth mindset, subscribe yeah. to that philosophy. It will mm-hmm. only come to you in abundance. Right. Um, like, am I able to say, mm-hmm. am I able to receive feedback? Am I able to give feedback? Am mm-hmm. I, and am I able to share hard truths? It, am I willing to admit when I've been wrong or am I willing to say, Oh, that was not what I intended to do but that's how it came across. Okay. Let's rework this. And, and so, yeah, I might be wrong, (laughs) but I do think that it, if I'm in a committed relationship with someone and there is sexual chemistry there and we are committed to one another and there's, we, I feel safe with him. He feels safe with me. Then I think it's about having a growth mindset and, and practicing and talking with each other and reading books. And I also think it's why, um, discovering your own body is so important, whether that like through masturbation or feeling being like, Oh, like this is, this feels good to me. This doesn't feel good to me. And mm-hmm. then, cause po- so much of sex is about communication. Well, if I don't know what feels good, then how am I supposed to communicate what does or doesn't feel good in a sexual right. encounter? I love that your answers can also just be like non-faith-based because there are people listening right now who have told me, who've confided to me today when I did the poll about how, 
you know, they're not intentionally virgins. For the last 12 years, I've had Agape Matchmaking, which is this matchmaking service. You know, the people that I've always worked with are over 35, but eventually the 35 year olds are now millennials. I'm a millennial, right? And what I've noticed is that I would tell you that one, one in five men below the age of 35 are currently virgins. Hmm. That's just from my own experience of like people that I meet and not necessarily in the office, just in general, people I meet, you know, they just tell me everything. And this is what I've, what I've been hearing is that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of men who just haven't done that, not by choice. And there are also um, many women who are also in sexual experience. And some of the things that you're saying of like, how to build that sexual chemistry with someone, even if you don't wait until marriage, these are really good. It's a really good outlook to have. Mm -hmm. This is your choice. Mm -hmm. and your own interpretation of your own faith, does this restrict you then to only being able to date someone who shares the same faith as you? I would not say that my beliefs on sex restrict me (laughs) to date or or not. Yeah. If that came off as judgmental, that was no, 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 it doesn't. Um, Because I would, it's a question I get a lot. And I would say for me, I, my faith paints, every area of my life. And so I want to be with someone that I, I share the core of who I am with. So I do want to, to be with another person that shares my faith and, and that can look a thousand different ways, right? Like they're uh, like you said, you're Greek Orthodox. Like I am, I don't even know how to consider myself now non-denominational. Like I believe in the Bible. (laughs) Um, But to me, I think relationships are hard no matter who you're with. And you're constantly trying to like speak the same language, even though you have two people that have two different backgrounds, two different family histories, like origin stories, Mm -hmm. wounds and baggage and all that crap that comes with it. And to, um, to be with someone that it's like, I at least know that that core part is in alignment. Um, I've dated guys that haven't shared my faith and it's, I've had great and sweet experiences with them. Um, but there typically comes a point where there's like, we're out of alignment on some pretty core Mm -hmm. stuff because of that. Um, I would say not every Christian guy I've dated is saving themselves until marriage, but I would say that, every single guy that I've dated that hasn't shared my faith, that has been a deal breaker as far as like having sex or not. How do you tell men about this choice? I think for me, it used to feel like a scary conversation, but that was because I felt like a victim to Christianity and I did not have that internal motivation. So once I kind of did my own work and was like, actually like, this is a decision I want to make. And I feel empowered empowered i feel right. proud of that and so it's nothing i mean that you I'm look hiding. empowered you like oh, i wish people you. could see the way you look <laughs> on a podcast but you're just glowing oh thank and you and <laughs> i think it's because it comes you know comes from a place of confidence in your own self mm. so for anyone listening who you know it's not even just about waiting till marriage but just wants to wait how do you communicate that i communicate it on the first or second date like, like organically or i'll just bring it up I just say, Hey, you know, I, I want you to know that I am waiting until marriage to have sex. And that's not like a cute, funny thing I say. It's actually a thing that I really believe. And I just want to put that out there for you and see where you're at, because I know it can be a, be a deal breaker on, on both sides of the conversation. So that's where I'm at. And how do men usually respond to you? I mean, I've gotten like, check, please. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right uh, oh, yeah. But more often than not, I would say that people are really curious about it and have questions and are like, you know, most guys are like, so what can you do? <laughs> like, what are your boundaries? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, because I'm so clear with what I'm looking for and the type of partner I'm looking for, I am ready to have children. I am ready to settle down. I'm 35. I want to be married in the next few years. And are you currently um, single? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if any guys are listening to this podcast right now and share the same values as cat, they should contact me. Is this sure? Oh my gosh. I love being set up. I love, I love being set up. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, yeah. So I just, I bring it up like that because 
I, I don't think there's such thing as wasted time. I think every mm. opportunity is an opportunity to grow if we choose it to be. Totally. However, the more clear we are, like if I, I have to know the vision of where I'm headed to be able to walk out today with clarity and integrity and freedom. And so I know what I want. And so I don't need to go on 10 dates and then tell you, oh, by the way, I'm not having sex. And also I don't think it's kind to the other person. And I, I dated multiple guys where it's like, I knew that was my boundary, but we hadn't talked about it. And so I just feel like it's a kindness to be up as honest and upfront as possible. Um, with, with, I love you that are. you mentioned. Yeah. I love that you mentioned it on the first date or the first or second date. I feel like, I don't know. I'm not a guy, but I had to, I have to think like a guy all day as I'm <laughs> betting women as matches for my heterosexual clients. And I feel like they'd want to know quickly, would you date someone who has kids? Yeah, sure. Interesting. And is it okay if, so obviously if you're open to having someone who has kids, you're open to dating someone who's had sex. Yeah. I would never expect anyone to have the same path that I have had. Mm. I think what is important to me is what is the choice that we are going to make together in this relationship? Wow. These are really great answers. Tell me more (laughs) about why you called your business and, um, your podcast, the, uh, like refined, where does the, where does the word refined come from? Well, when I first started the refined woman, I was definitely having a Blair Waldorf gossip girl moment and loved, I was more of like a preppy dresser. So I think Mm -hmm. it more so at that time became like, Oh, having a refined sense of style. But the more the brand kind of unfolded over the years, um, I realized for me, it was, it's more so this sense of being refined by the, by the fire of life and growing being willing to ask hard questions and being willing to admit when you need support. And I think, I think one of the biggest reasons like refined what it means to me is stepping into the places and spaces and conversations that feel most scary and saying like, I know this is scary, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to move towards the thing that feels scary because the moment I step outside of my comfort zone is when I start growing. Love that. All right. So in the beginning of this episode, I preemptively said, here's what's going to be talked about. So let's talk about this before we let you go. Yeah. How do we embrace our sexuality when we're not having sex? Yeah. Oh, I love this topic so much. And I think how we embrace our sexuality when we're not having sex starts with expanding our view on what sexuality is. And I think we can have a really flattened one dimensional experience of sexuality. It's like sexuality is sex or sexuality is comes to pass when I have an orgasm, whatever it is. Sexuality is sexual intimacy. I think that those are a part of our sexuality, but I, I believe that our sexuality is just much more, I think it's more robust than that. And Deborah Hirsch is an author that I first learned the, this definition from, but she, she kind of has this message that there's like social sexuality and genital sexuality. So genital sexuality is obviously when our genitals touch Mm -hmm. and social sexuality is the desire within all humanity to, to be in relationship with someone other than themselves. So Mm -hmm. it's that internal thing that gets me outside of myself to be in community with other people, to be in relationship. So I think in that sense, sexuality is, there's just so many more options (laughs) to embrace my sexuality, as opposed to putting all this pressure on this one thing, like sex has to be this all encompassing mind altering life changing experience. And I'm not fully a human until I've experienced this thing. And, and then I think so many people are disappointed by it. I think we also do this with marriage. I don't know if guys do it as much as girls, but in the circles I run with so many women think that 
marriage or partnership is the be all end all. It's the, the antidote to their insecurities, to their daddy issues, to their financial problems. And so there's all this pressure put on this one thing and this one person. And I just don't believe that one person was ever designed to fulfill all of our needs. I think it takes a village. I think we need a village. And so if sexual, if I view sexuality as a desire to connect with other people, then I can kind of zoom out and be like, so then what happens in sex? Like, what are we looking for in sex? Yes. Orgasm is great. And I think women should be having way more orgasms than they currently are having. That is a part of it, but we also go to sex for connection, for intimacy, for validation, um, validation for so many of these other things. And so what else can I do to give me connection? Well, I think there's first, I think a huge part is being in community with others and collaborating with other people and creating new things. So sex ultimately can make babies, right? It's like that ultimate form of collaboration with another person. So I think we can have this eroticism for life and this eroticism for creativity to create something with other people. Like right now you and I are connected with our sexuality because we are creating something together. And I think that taking the pressure off sexuality being coming to fruition through just sex allows people at in every age and different dynamics and different relationship types to be able to express their sexuality. And I also think that part of embracing my sexuality is getting to know myself Mm-hmm. And it's going to sound woo-woo and probably self-helpy and lame, but in order, if I want to be in a healthy relationship with another person, I first get to learn to love myself and know what I love. Like in scripture, it says it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. What's implicit there is that I, I can only love my neighbor if I first love myself. Mm. It's, it's the whole flight attendant saying, put your air mask on first before you put on your neighbors. And so part of embracing my sexuality is getting connected to my body and Western culture, especially we live in our brains. We're logical where so many of us are, especially in COVID, we're like work, work, hustle, hustle, do, do, do. So what is it to be with myself? What lights me up? What gets me excited? Not just sexually, but just in life in general and getting to know ourselves in that way. I think connecting to sensuality is a great way to embrace our sexuality and sensuality is really just the practice of presence And a huge way to have a beautiful sexual encounter is if you have the capacity or discipline really to be present, fully alive in that moment. So how can I practice sensuality, go to dinner with one of my friends and put my phone in my purse the entire time and be present, Mm -hmm. go on a run. I think working out and sweating is such a powerful way to connect with our sexuality because we're literally in our bodies and we're sweating and we're moving. I think it's why things like CrossFit and SoulCycle and yoga are so bonding because we're moving, we're sweating, we are breathing with other people and it's transformative. I think the options really are limitless, but it first starts with saying our sexuality is so much bigger than body parts touching. You have a really no shame approach to all this. And I really appreciate that. I think for me, the few times that I have encountered someone who wants to wait, it does come from this place of shame. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think some of these women that I've met that have wanted to wait until marriage have ever masturbated. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's, that's a little frustrating because the thing that I think sometimes is, man, you're going to be really disappointed by sex when you finally have it because sometimes it's not special. Sometimes it's just the biological need of like, all right, let's get fucked up. (laughs) This is about my perception of sex as someone, you know, I mean, I'm married and I have sex, but I've been unmarried and and had sex. And sometimes sex is just sex. And it's not, I I guess there's different approaches to this, right? And I think the, what I appreciate about today's conversation is that your approach comes from a place of who empowerment to like the 10th degree. And of course it's all based on how you're interpreting your faith mm-hmm. and the Bible. There are obviously other interpretations of those same 
scriptures that you're quoting here. Totally. Um, yeah. They're a lot more strict. And I, I really appreciate your take on that. I think this is a really great conversation mm-hmm. and I really appreciate your um, perspective on this. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, it's definitely been a journey for me. I've been researching this stuff and going for the last 10 years almost. And I've been on my own in my own life, my whole life. And so, you know, I've always been the type of person that's like, why, why I was always on the front row of all my classes, hand raised. Well, weren't we supposed to have a quiz today? (laughs) Like, why why is it like this? And there's an elephant in this room and why, why, why? And I think having, I think what I feel so passionate about is whatever you want to do sexually Mm -hmm. is to know your why, why Mm -hmm. are you making the decisions you are making in relationships sexually or not? Where did those beliefs come from? I think it's so important to get to a place where we pause and deconstruct. What did I learn about my sexuality and desire in my body from home, from religious institutions, from culture, from media, from my peers, from school? And what beliefs did I, what messages did I receive because of that? Mm. And is that in or out of alignment with what I currently believe? Right. And then once I know what I believe and why are my actions in alignment with what I believe? Cause I can, you know, an easy example is, you know, I can say, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm confident and I love my body, body, body positivity, but I can say that with my mouth, but my actions and my internal heart be really far from that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important not only to know what I believe and why, and how did I develop those beliefs, but then is how I'm showing up in alignment with what I do or do not want. Like if I say I want to be in a serious relationship, but I'm having casual sex every night with a guy from the bar, then based off results, I'm not saying you can't meet your partner that way, but I would say based off results, it looks like you want to have casual encounters. Well, listen, if you, if you end up marrying the guy you had sex with on a casual night, the first time you met him, you've won the lottery. It's, it's very rare that those relationships work out. Yeah. And it's, like, it's just like, it's rare to win the lottery. So, yeah. you know, whatever, but, right. um, but you know, I think, I think you've hit a few really great points here, which is like the, when, and the why, and how, how, you know, how do we get the thoughts that we do and where do they come from? And, you know, even if you decide to have sex and just, you know, before marriage and just wait to have sex a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I advocate for 12 dates. It's also about learning the emotional range with the person that you're with and right. seeing where your values line up on that. And that when, and how, and where, and all that stuff, it does. It's exactly what you said. It, it where does that come from? And uh, yeah, I, I love, I love your perspective on this. That's great. Kat, how can people find you? My website is the refined woman. It's my Instagram as well. My weekly podcast is the refined collective. It comes out every Wednesday. My book sexless in the city, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating desire and sex is available for pre-sale on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible. I would be so grateful if, if you have enjoyed hearing about this, if you would pre-order that. And then if you're single and just feel stuck in this season, I love walking with single women in their, in their dating journey. You can go to bit.ly that's B I T dot L Y slash T R W dating tips to get in my free online community for single women. That's amazing. I'm going to have all those links in the episode notes. So if you're listening and you want to get all this stuff, pre-order her book. The link will be in the episode notes and, um, Kat, thank you again for joining me on ask a matchmaker, which also goes out on Wednesdays. So we're podcast buddies. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you for coming. And thank you for listening to ask a matchmaker. If you love what you heard and you have not already rate review, and of course, subscribe, have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60 second audio question. You can write a question. You can send me a rant, read that on rant day, whatever. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmaker Maria for more dating and relationship tips until then be lovable. And more importantly, be likable. See you next week.